is a Woodside Church podcast. 1 Samuel, as we've been seeing, is a bit ups and downs with the people of God, trying to bring them back to God. Um, and uh, it's like a continuation of, if you know your Bible history, if not, just listen and I'll explain it. There's a book of Judges where you had lots of different people leading the people of God. And after, after each judge, as they're so-called, the people fell away again. Then another one came. It was all ups and downs until you get to Samuel. And then Samuel was like a judge that was consistent, helped the people back to God. And uh, things were up and down a bit early on in his leadership. But as we will see... He helped the people really get back before they started having kings. Okay, so. Now, I've been given a very long section of scripture. Um, This was all chosen for me, you know, uh, by the wonderful people that put the preaching series together. And I've got 1 Samuel chapters 5, 6, and 7. So, and as you know, although I'm normally extremely brief in what I have to say, um, to do three chapters is quite something. It's also the worst section when you haven't got a, a, because normally people like to read it behind me, uh, but you won't be able to, so listen as I read from the Word of God. I'm not going to read all three chapters, I'm going to read mo- I'm going to, but I'm going to read a good substantial part of it because, you know, one of the instructions in the New Testament to Timothy was give yourself to reading out loud the Scriptures. And uh, actually, in our the, the t- tendency today to just take odd verses and explain them, whereas actually the Bible says give yourself to reading out loud the Scriptures. So that's what I'm going to do at the beginning of this time uh, this morning. Okay, after the Philistines captured the Ark of God, that is the, uh, it was the symbol of the presence of God amongst them. It was built many years before, and it was the symbol of the presence of God. They took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon, who was their idol, and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the Ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had been broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why, to this day, the priests of Dagon, that's the day to which it was written. We haven't got any priests of Dagon as far as I know today. This is why, to this day, neither the priests... Sorry, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon will step on its threshold. 
Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumours. When the people realised what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of God, the God of Israel here any longer. He's against us. We'll all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. And then the ark was sent to different Philistine towns and the same thing happened. So I've sh shortened it a bit there. And so they decided, the Philistine priest decided to send the ark back as a guilt, with a gift as a guilt offering of five gold tumours representing the plague that they had and five gold rats uh, which brought the plague. Now, so they said, now build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart and beside it place a chest containing the gold rats and the gold tumours you are sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know that it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we'll know that it wasn't his hand that caused the plague. It was simply by chance. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and the gold tumours were placed in the cart. And sure enough, without seeing off, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road towards Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. However, there was then a tragedy because some of them didn't respect the ark, and some of them died there. So they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath Jerim and told them, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. So the men of Kirith-Jerim came to get the Ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Binadab and ordained, ordained Eleazar his son to be in charge of it. Probably a priestly family, because Eleazar was a well-known priestly name. The Ark remained in Kirith-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth, that's another idol. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their Im images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and in a great ceremony drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge, like I was describing at the beginning. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching 
don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel and, answered him, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below beth Car, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana, he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year he traveled around, setting up his court, first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel in each of these places. Then he would return to his home at Ramah and he would hear cases there. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. Okay. A lot of scripture, but great story. See, the plan of God was and is that the nations, including those at this time who are Israel's enemies, would come to acknowledge the supremacy of the one true God of Israel. The main plan was that this would be achieved through the godliness of God's people, through their good deeds and their showing light. Israel then, the church now, but even when the people of God fail, as happened here, God can still demonstrate who he is. Even if the church doesn't do what we are called to do and be a light to the nations, God will still have a witness. Here, it was by an idol kept falling down until they got the message. Okay. And today, as God's working in grace, it's by other means. If you go to many so-called country, countries that are so-called close to the gospel, you'll find literally hundreds of people having dreams about Jesus. Okay, I've met some of them. I've met ex-Buddhist priests who, while they were serving, suddenly, uh, suddenly had a dream about Jesus and have become church leaders. Okay, I can't name the country where that was, but it's happened. I've met many others. God makes sure he works in some way, even when the people of God are not, you know, because the, the command was to take the gospel to every nation, and we're still not doing that enough. Still need more people to go to unreached people groups, you know. Some of you may be thinking about that. Just throw that out. The Philistines, remembering the lessons of Egypt, because they'd heard about it, realized they needed to repent, and they tested whether it was really God. That's not a bad thing to do. 
So they made it difficult for God. They chose cows that had just given birth and put their calves away. They hitched them to a cart that they'd never pulled a cart before. And if they didn't run after their calves and they managed to pull the cart across the land to the land of Israel, that would show that it was God who was at work. And that's just what happened. It's okay to do that, you know. Sometimes maybe you're not a believer here today and you want to really challenge God. You know, show me. He'll do that in his grace. I know so many who've come to faith and they've raised all sorts of questions which I as a believer wouldn't raise because I've got to work by faith. But if you haven't got faith, then ask God for things. Okay, that's what happened here. And uh, the ark then went to a particular house for 20 years. And during that time, it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. And then Samuel, now an older man, up until now he's been a little boy in our series. Now he's an older man. Then convened the people and called on them to repent, get rid of false gods, worshipped by them, by, by, those in the land, by, by the land of, people in the land of Canaan and by the Philistines. How could they overcome the Philistines if they were serving the same things as they were? If there's no distinction in godliness between the church and the world that can be seen, how can we demonstrate a different way of life? which will attract people. Sometimes the picture of the church isn't too good because we're condemning all the time. No, no, our job is not to judge the world. Our job is to live in a godly way. Do you understand? Paul said, it's not for us to judge those outside the church. We rather demonstrate something very, very different. And to be the... And that could cause people to not like us. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He also said, and the world might hate you as he hated me. Okay, both are possible. It's possible to win many people over and still be hated by some. That's what Jesus was like. Okay, so a couple of general lessons. Um... And then I'm going to look at some lessons for leadership because that's particularly what we're thinking about today. It said the glory had departed was what was said um, before this happened. A, A woman died in childbirth and because the ark had been captured said the glory had departed. What this chapter said shows is the glory actually hadn't departed. God was still at work. It was just because of the people's failure, it was just not obvious. But God was still at work. He was working even in amongst the Philistines. And he was working um, in all sorts of ways. Often, things look really bad. Like when the Cultural Revolution in China happened, all the missionaries were booted out of the country. Okay. 
That led to the second great revival in China. And many believe that now, when things are tougher again, it's the time of the third great revival in China. So what is in our hearts and what our practices demonstrate is, do we serve the idols of the world or do we live by God's standards? Do we serve all the things the world runs after? Do we find our security in our possessions? Or do we find our security in God? Do we love our enemies? Or do we get ultra-nationalistic? Do we live faithful to our husband and wife? Or do we not? The idols are different now. In the West, we don't have statues, statues that fall down, but we have idols. And God's saying, live differently. Okay, so those are some general lessons. Can't expand on them now. Now, just briefly, some lessons for leadership. Okay, Felix, this is for you, all right? but also for all of us who take any responsibility. You know, some are called to be elders in the church, but all of us are to live lives that demonstrate to others our godly way of life. Okay, so what were they? Well, firstly, at last in Samuel was a leader who was humble, devoted to God, and full of personal integrity. Okay, God wants humble leadership, not megastar leadership, not celebrity leadership. Samuel wasn't that. Samuel was humble. Samuel was full of personal integrity and a life devoted to God even when nobody was recognizing much. For 20 years, nothing much happened until they pleaded with him to lead them. But all that time, he maintained his personal integrity. Do you live a godly life when no one's seeing you? Okay. Secondly, he was prepared to challenge the people regarding idolatry. You know, we're a church that preaches grace. Sometimes we can talk as if it's cheap grace, not free grace. Cheap grace is, well, of course God will forgive you. you know, I've, heard, I've heard, sometimes heard things said that don't deal with what's inside, but just say, well, of course God will forgive. Well, he will. But it's not cheap grace, it's free grace to which we respond. Free grace cost Jesus an amazing amount. Free grace cost the Father the death of his Son. Free grace to us cost Jesus his uh, dying on the cross. Our response to that 
He say, why you've given it me free, I'll live my life for you. Nothing will be too much. Cheap grace is, well, it was a phrase uh, first spoken of by a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was one of the few evangelical Christians in Germany that stood up against Hitler and lost his life for it in the end. Sadly, often evangelical leaders, not evangelical leaders, evangelical believers can go along with the trends of their own government, even when they're ungodly. Bonhoeffer stood up against Hitler. Sometimes wonder what would we have done if we were in Germany at that time. He stood up and said, because I'm going to give my life for this because it's not cheap grace. God has given me free grace and I will respond to that. Do you understand the difference? Talk to me. Get it. Thirdly, he prayed for the people. That's what godly leadership does. Sometimes, I'll confess this to you, sometimes we haven't a clue what to do or say because of what's happening. So we pray. And we should pray when we do know what to say as well. <laughs> you understand? We say, Lord, you change this. We can't. He then led them in repentance. He actually offered a lamb. We don't have to do that. We remember the lamb that was once offered. Jesus was offered as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when we turn away from things that are wrong in our lives, we say we remember what he did for us. He motivated them to trust God for the victory. Philistines were still stronger than Israel. Okay? In fact, most of the time in 1 Samuel, until David took over, the Philistines were generally stronger. Often they had good weapons and the people of Israel didn't. Okay, so humanly speaking, they'd have lost. But... Samuel motivated the people to have faith in God in our circumstances. Praise God, Iggy, you were motivated each time you came here to have faith in God for the future. Amen? Okay? And God came through in the end. Great testimony. He attributed the victory to God, not our strategy. Church life of recent years, strategies become very important. Okay, well, we do need to have plans. We do need to plan things. But actually, strategy doesn't bring the victory. God brings the victory. His prophetic word leads us, and that precedes any strategy, which is simply our working out what God has already spoken to us. 
So I don't despise it, but it's the response to what God has said and is doing. And he says, Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. Uh, for he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Okay. When I was a kid, I used to sing a hymn which said, here I raise my Ebenezer. I wonder what that meant. But actually, it was just a reference to this scripture. I'm saying, up until this time, God has helped us. And so we remember that. Okay, It's a wonderful expression. It's saying, okay, okay, I don't know what the future holds, but up to this time, God has helped us. And I'll trust him, therefore, for the future. And he brought, with God's help, a season of peace, security, and freedom. Could I just say, in leadership, even if things are tough, we want people to enjoy inwardly a sense of peace, security, and freedom. Even when there's oppression. Even when the tough, I mean, I'm working with people. I was just two weeks ago, well, I was in Nairobi, and I was working with people from a, a group where you, uh, from, a, from a nation where you can't, you, even if you had a Bible, it would be seized. You can't, some of my friends who were there had a, a six-figure sum on their heads if they went back to their country. They uh, have to meet very carefully, and yet they're seeing amazing things happen. And they could bring to their people a sense of peace, security, and joy in the Lord, even though the external circumstances are not favorable. He was a long-term leader. It says Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Well, that says something to you and me about retirement, Tim. For the rest of our lives, we still serve God, even though we may not have the responsibilities we used to have. Okay? And leadership is intended to be long-term. It's not sort of, well, I'll try this for a month or two. No, no, we bring security to people. He worked hard, travelled all around the villages, it says. But he had a good home at Rama. He wasn't just a professional prophet, he went home. You know, one of the things Silla and I enjoy when we're travelling all the time is being home and not having to do anything here much, just being in the service on a Sunday, being in our home group. Our, sorry, our... Community group. <laughs> it's all right. I go in lots of places, you see, and they call all call them something different. Because it's home. It says Samuel was like that as well. He wasn't sort of just detached to the ministry. He had a home where he was based. And he was a worshipper. 
He said he built an altar to the Lord there in his hometown of Rama. That's leadership. All right, Felix and Joyce? That's leadership. And, all, all other, and it's not just for them. It's not just for elders. It's for all of us who seek to be an example to people in the church. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.